Thank you for joining us for this episode of Corkscrews and Contracts. I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And I'm Wyatt Wallace. Today we have a very interesting guest. You're going to love him. But first, what are we drinking? Oh my goodness. We have a Pinot Noir from California. It is called Bold Vine. And it is quite bold. Let's have a sip on that. This is one of my more favorites. What? You're like a cab drinker almost exclusively. <laughs> I didn't even know you could pronounce it cab. And then you said, it's a cab. <laughs> and now you're like, this is one of your favorites. It's a Pinot. Really I'm like so, it. you are just blossoming into all kinds of. Full of surprises. That's right. Jacob Wimsett has over nine years of experience in the architecture industry. He graduated from Western Kentucky University with a bachelor's in architecture science in 2011. He also graduated from the University of Tennessee with a master's in architecture in 2015. He's a partner at Clements Wimsett Architects here in Nashville and a registered architect in Tennessee and Kentucky. Jacob Wimsett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'll share this with everybody out there in the, in the listening world. Um, Jacob came to the studio, and we were standing on the balcony, which you will see from the selfie photo and, and so forth, and he was already pointing out projects that he and his company had worked on before. And I thought that was so cool, man. Like, Thanks. Yeah. Like, you don't get to do that every day. You know? Like, we had no idea that, that it was right next to some stuff that you've done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've done a lot of projects in this area. Cool. What, what would you say is the majority of what you do? Um, well, um, we design um, single-family homes and um, multifamily condos, townhomes. Um, we're also um, involved in some small commercial projects. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a whole list of things that we're... Um, doing and a part of and we've got a, a big background of a variety of different things um, we've done restaurants offices did an amphitheater one time um, cool mostly here in Nashville we've been sticking with single families and multifamily projects so what's the number one thing you want our listeners to know about about you and your company I guess the number one thing is um, about architecture in general. Uh, architecture is um, a balance between that which is pragmatic and that which is experiential. Um, and it also encompasses aesthetics, um, energy efficiency. Um, you also have to consider things like structure, HVAC, and a whole host of different things. So architecture is, is this balance between whole lot of systems and um, you know no system is more important than the other um, especially when you broaden it to thinking pragmatically and thinking more experiential so yeah. we're trying to balance those things at all times and my firm in, in particular is uh, interested in, in not only doing that balance but also being uh, a collaborative being a part of a collaborative team that brings projects together and that's what we focus on. I'm glad you talk about pragmatism because as an investor, my thought is, an architect? Oh, that sounds expensive. <laughs> it can be. <laughs> it can be. Yeah, yeah. But well, we go overboard sometimes, for sure. <laughs> but, but again, it, you have to you have to always have pragmatism and that more idealistic, um, you know, those more idealistic features like the experience or the aesthetics. 
you have to have that. That's about, you know, that is our, as human beings, we need those two things um, to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't only solve problems with pragmatism. Just like you can't only solve problems with aesthetics, right? Yeah. It's always this this balancing act. And architecture itself is is a marriage between art and science. It's it's those two things. It if it were only pragmatic, it would be engineering. And if it were um, only expressionary, if it was only an expression, or if it was uh, only about aesthetics, then it would be closer to the art realm. So you need both. I just love the words that you're using. It's great. They're like hundred dollar words and stuff. That sounds insulting, but it's not. <laughs> it's not because we were already describing one of your projects and the experiential part about opening up a living room so that it belongs to the park that's next door. Yeah. Like the the idea, the flow, and that's something that you know. As an individual investor on a certain project, we don't think about that. We go, well, yeah. you know, I mean, that's a nice view over there, I'm sure. Well, but... so the particular project that we were talking about is an HPR project. And um, to here in Nashville, tall and skinnies are usually the way that people <laughs> Yes. Uh, we like to try to convince our clients to go um, either attach them, because there's six feet there that you can utilize in a skinny floor plan. 14-foot floor plan is really hard to really hard to do. You're really going to lose a lot of functionality in, in that. Um, but Say that again. 14 feet across. 14 feet wide. Yeah, floor plate. 14, 15 feet wide. Um, if you have to put that 6-foot in between the yeah. units, so you're it's saying not really worth it. People are paying half a million dollars <laughs> for a house that's just barely over a double wide? Yes, they Is are. Is it a double wide? <laughs> Well, it's, it's so it's here in. <laughs> Sorry, I'm from the country. My bad. But it sounds now that like 14 feet is not very far. No. Well, the, it's this uh, here in the South, it's this individualistic character that we have. Yeah. That, um, you know, we want our own homes, we want our own yards. We but, do. So if we're going to do the detached, and the project I was showing you earlier was a front back situation. Mm-hmm. So we had an alley, um, we had a front street. We wanted to stay away from the tall, skinny arrangement for pragmatic reasons and for experiential reasons. Yeah. So uh, we tr- we went with a front back approach, and that's a lot easier to do when you have an alley. But um, what we're also doing is implementing certain, we're implementing other features to try to uh, help to make the back unit not feel like the lesser of the two. So offsetting them in plan to allow the back to have a street presence is is one thing Um, but also in this particular case using the context to help create an experience was um, really important so the home that I was showing you was um, a home that was right next door to a small community park and what we did was we made the major spaces of the home the living dining kitchen be a part of that park so we put a lot of glass between that and the experience is so important because you don't want that back home to be the lesser of the two so you start to use the context in this case to expand that living space that dining room living dining kitchen into into that park with with the glass and you can't achieve that when you're only thinking about aesthetics and when you're only thinking about you know other pragmatic variables Right. That's true. And you've mentioned, too, that you guys do things like 
uh, increase the yard space for that back house. Yes. Compared yeah. to the front because of... Yeah, so uh, that's another tactic to, um, uh, to the same problem. We increase the amenities. We could increase the square footage, right? Mm. Uh, a lot of it's dictated on the site and the context and what, what is available. That is so cool. It is. Because I think of it totally different as an agent versus you as an architect. Sure. So I don't even think about the the setup of the back versus the front or putting them on the property a certain way. So right. I really right. loved what you had to say about that. Yeah. Well, it takes a village, right? Yeah. So, um, and again, that's another reason why our firm is so collaborative. We try to be as collaborative as possible. We try to involve everybody in the process, you know. We bring contractors in as early as we can to start talking about budget and um, you know the constructability of the project. We bring realtors in to talk about how the project's going to sell, how the spaces are going to work together. You know, all the, everybody that's on our team has input, and that input only makes the projects better. So, I think you really made a great point about why. Um, you're so crucial to the real estate, to being a part of, of the real estate process uh, that most people don't even have to think about. So Yeah, we, we, uh, we think that architecture and good design will ultimately sell, right? That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to as an investor is that you want your project to sell. Um, mm-hmm. But you've got to look beyond that. You've got to look at the homeowner in, in, if you're doing a home. You've got to look at how they're going to be a part of that equation as well. And, that, and that's where the realtor comes in too. You know, That's an mm-hmm. uh, important part of that is somebody's not going to buy a home that doesn't really work or has the right experience for them. And, um, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, go ahead. We're, we're a part of an, an organization that kind of gives us some, some future looking on things that are going on for, um, for metropolitan areas. Yeah. And... Um, one of the projects that they're working on is bringing a library to a town okay. that didn't have one in that location before. Uh-huh. And the future thought process is that, look, a lot of us, especially millennials, if we're not going too far, we'll just go ahead and use our travel app. Like we'll just Lyft or Uber or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Rideshare to the location. But we love to be able to walk along a place and feel safe and feel a part of it. Yeah. And so they're actually shifting that property closer to the road mm-hmm. as opposed to having a traditional parking lot directly in front of the building. Yeah. It's a very suburban approach, right? The, the parking lot in the front and things in back. And I'm actually glad to see the trend towards addressing the street. That's what we would call it. Addressing it's, the street. Str- addressing the street, yeah. So you want the building to be a part of the street. And another thing I was going to say apart from being the investor that's first in in the project, you know, mm-hmm. developing the project, and then the homeowner that's taking, you know, control over it or becoming the owner of it, right? Um, you've got to look, I think you have to look even beyond that, and that's to the community, right? Mm-hmm. We're always trying to um, help allow our architecture to be a part of a community. And if we've got commercial projects that we were asked to be a part of, then addressing the street is going to be a a crucial part of that you know we want it to be a part of the community it's very very important and uh, that's one way to do it 
for sure. And it's it's not only about the experience of the architecture itself. It's about the experience that you have walking through the city. So you gave some great examples of things to make the the um, make a area better or improve it or a structure better or improve it. Um, what happens when a project actually goes wrong? What's well, so. Um, from a pragmatic standpoint, um, you know, you could have moisture issues. Um, you could have um, uh, thermal issues. Um, you could have issues with building codes, issues with zoning. Um, from an experiential point of view, um, you know, depending on how you look at it, imagine imagine buying a buying a lot, spending a lot of money on it and um, trying to conform to some sort of aesthetic mm -hmm. that doesn't work with the context. So the, you know, from an experiential point of view, you buy this lot and you've got this great view, but you're not taking advantage of it because you're trying to conform to some sort of aesthetic or you're trying to conform to um, something that doesn't really work with the context itself. And I think that if, as long as that you take that contextual approach to design, you're not only going to make the inside of the inside of the project better, um, but you're also going to benefit the larger scale that is is the community. Real estate investors looking for a quick close and no appraisals, reach out to Mike Brady at PropertyRecycle.com. They are a large private equity firm with that personal touch. Property Recycle offers an easy online application, no appraisal requirements, and can close within five days. Ditch your slow, expensive lender and get the money you need today. Call Mike Brady at 615-806-7500. Again, that is 615-806-7500. Or visit propertyrecycle.com. If you're in the Nashville area, please join us for the monthly Middle Tennessee Investors and Wholesalers Network Happy Hour. Two hours of pure networking and deal making. You'll meet brand new investors and wholesalers, all the way up to those that buy hotels. You can find more information and sign up on our website at corkscrewsandcontracts.com. Don't miss it. There are things that make sense from... Um, from the investor, money, um, maybe the partners, the project, what have you, and it makes sense in one city or one location, and then try to move that to another place. Yeah. Do you find that you work with people that are trying to do something here in Nashville that maybe doesn't make sense? <laughs> so, um... Yeah, absolutely, and I've got a perfect example for you. I don't want to go down too much of a negative track. <laughs> um, as a designer, I think every designer has frustrations with um, you know certain aspects, um, and as an architect, that that is where my frustration lies: is is pulling from one context and placing into another thinking that it's going to work the same way. And from a financial standpoint, it may work the same way. But from an experiential standpoint, it may not. And mm -hmm. the example that I have is 
what I call the beach house. Mm. <laughs> so you know what the beach house is. <laughs> no. So here in Nashville, there are some communities that have tall and skinnies. Yeah. And all of them look like beach houses. Oh. And I know where they've come from. They've come from Seaside, Florida. <laughs> so I don't know if you know what Seaside, Florida is, but it's a development down close to Destin that is a beautiful development. It's a great place. It's awesome. Mm. But it works because it's down in Seaside, Florida. <laughs> it has the kind of pastel colors. It has, it has that kind of beach look, right? Yeah. And somewhere along the lines it made sense financially to bring that here to Nashville. <laughs> and there are neighborhoods, a lot of neighborhoods, that have the tall skinnies, and in my opinion, they look like beach houses. But I think they're unplugged from their context. Yes. Um, I don't know if I should say the neighborhood in particular, but um, <laughs> there is a neighborhood here that I think would have been better if they would have taken a more kind of industrial approach to Oh. Because it was an industrial context that they've converted into a neighborhood. But if you drive down there, you see a seaside without an ocean, right? <laughs> it's just strange. It's it's odd. I don't know that it, it doesn't work from a financial standpoint. Um, but without the ocean, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense from an experiential standpoint. Not to me. Yeah. Anymore. Everything to... God, I didn't think about it, too. Um, Charleston, South Carolina, has... Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, has shotgun Beautiful. houses. A lot mm -hmm. of them, right? And the sea, the ocean, brings breezes. So, yeah, that's that's <laughs> awesome, though. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, you have that ocean breeze. You're able to utilize that small floor plate to allow, you know, that air movement. But um, if you move that house to here... Without the ocean breeze, it doesn't make much sense, right? Right. Oh. So I'm going to have some more wine on that one. I like that. Yeah. Well, and I've seen the Charleston houses even be, a, because I'm from South Carolina, I've seen the Charleston houses come up to the upper part of the state, and it's the same kind of, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Funny, yesterday our friend told us that she bought a house in Seaside. I love Seaside. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I went, I went there, let's see, in, in, um, this was last year I went to Seaside. Yeah. Awesome place. Really awesome place. And I think that what makes it great is how um, tight everything is. You know, yes. you're able to walk to everything. Um, you actually feel like you're a part of something, but it has that, um, it has that consistency to it that makes it feel like a community and um, I think it really really works and I think that's it's not that you can take Seaside and place it here it's not you could do that in terms of the community in terms of um, certain aspects of what Seaside has to offer mm -hmm. the walkability of it oh, yeah right the the um, being feeling like it's a part of the community, the size of the streets, the layers between the street and the home, all those aspects that Seaside has that make it really great are something that we can bring here. It's just that we don't need to take it so literally by pulling it, <laughs> pulling only the architecture from it, and right. placing it here. It it needs to be thought through a little more than that. 
thinking it through, would it be better if they brought in truckloads of sand and then put a big pool in the center of everything? <laughs> Maybe some beach balls, Maybe so. palm trees. Volleyball. Volleyball. Maybe so. Yeah, if they played Top Gun volleyball scene on a big screen, I feel like it's very, it's very, that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm trying to get your little piece of the beach here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've heard about stuff you don't necessarily love. So what's your favorite thing about the projects or your favorite project <laughs> well so um we did a uh, a project um up in bowling green it was a seafood restaurant um and the client came to us and they said that they wanted to create something unique mm-hmm. you know we're, we're putting a seafood restaurant in bowling green kentucky right we wanted <laughs> to stand out Again, bringing and, the beach to... Well, right, <laughs> there is a beach. little bit of that. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the interpretation, though, was that we um, took a more kind of contemporary approach to it okay. and tried to make it more urban than, you know, being a part of, a part of the beach. But um, because it was, it was downtown, right? Mm-hmm. Downtown Bowling Green. But the, uh, the big... The big part of that project that was, um, you know, kind of threw a wrench into the equation was that there was a historic house embedded into the original restaurant. Ooh, so wow. the restaurant was 12,000 square feet. And I think the original home, which was actually Bowling Green's oldest residence, was uh, only about 1,500 square feet or maybe 1,000 square feet. So in the 1970s, what they did was they added on to that original house. I think it was built in the early 1800s or something, but they added 10, 11,000 square feet to this house to make this restaurant. <laughs> and the addition that they had done was, the, the idea behind the addition was to mimic the architecture of the past, right? This oh. historic house. And um, our idea when the client came to us to, to kind of re-envision this restaurant was to liberate that history from its mimicked kind of um, twin, if you will, or its, its uh, what do you call it, conjoined twin, if you will. Right? <laughs> yes. So we wanted to liberate it from its mimicked 1970s edition. And the way we did that was um, we turned that edition, left the historic home original, but turned that edition into a very contemporary piece of architecture that addressed the street. It took the urban approach of addressing the street. But the contemporary versus the historic gave us a contrast that allowed you to know which part was historic and which part was new. And actually, we had a lot of resistance at the beginning because they thought that we were tearing down the historic house when, in fact, we were just modifying the 1970s edition. Uh, but we that, that was the idea for the architecture. That was the experience that you had was you knew what was historic and you knew what was new. <laughs> and uh, it was this kind of liberation of, of the historic bowling green. That's incredible. I like that project Mm -hmm. because it's that debate is what I like about that project, right?
Do you like buying insurance for your flip, new construction, or other properties? No, everyone hates buying insurance unless you call Joe Gravy Graves with I Hate Buying Insurance. I hate buying insurance. He chose that name because it's the truth. Call or text Joe at 615-499-6846 to ask about insuring your investment properties and you'll get three free gifts worth over $7,000 in value when you say, Gravy, I need a quote on my most valuable asset. 615-499-6846. NetWorth Realty of Nashville is growing wealth in Tennessee by providing people across the Nashville metropolitan area with the tools and expertise they need to succeed in the residential real estate market. Their specialists understand the ins and outs of Nashville and are experts at locating undervalued properties in the city's most desirable neighborhoods. That's NetWorth Realty of Nashville, 615-823-2777. I've seen that over and over again with people that... Um that I've helped to look at houses for and with, kind yeah. of helping them see, you know, where, oh, that, that wall or that opening wasn't there when this was originally built. You know, and once you start to sure. see that, and especially if you go to the same neighborhood over and over again, you know what the floor plans are. Right. But it's so interesting that after only 45 years, the neighborhood was arguing that you were taking away their sure. history. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that um, is recent in the news that is along those same kind of lines is is uh, Notre Dame in Paris. Mm. Yeah, we had the fire. And the big debate, I'm a, I am a part of Art Daily. I don't know if you know what Art Daily is, but it's just a internet um, um, uh, magazine or uh -huh. whatever that, that posts um, architectural news. Yeah. Right? And uh, there was all these renderings of what, Notre Dame could be the new roof, right? These new kind of um, concepts of, of what you could do with it. But that whole historic, you know, the mimicry versus the the new is, yeah. is a part of a larger debate amongst architects. And Notre Dame's a great example of that because what should we do? Should we rebuild it the way that it was? Or should we make it something that works with today and what the culture is today and what we you know what we're about today and a lot of the renderings were actually uh, more sustainable roofs they were like greenhouses that were built on top of the of notre dame wow. um, as crazy as that sounds you know that make to me that makes a lot of sense and i would be the minority in that in that debate actually, <laughs> right so um, it makes a lot of sense because if you mimic the pat and you create the roof the way it was, you've mm -hmm. erased a part of history, and that is the history that is the 2019 fire, right? Right. So I think that architecture has that kind of cultural mm -hmm. implication. It, it can create those... Um, it can create those kind of debates, and um, I think what they're doing now is they're rebuilding it the way it was the way it was right yeah which is which is great there's no right or wrong answer to that debate um but it's it's interesting i think nonetheless and that's so because they they did they called it a forest because of all the trees that were oh, yeah. cut down to build that roof mm -hmm. like just a whole forest was put up there basically yeah and that would be interesting to make it a instead greenhouse. a greenhouse <laughs> yeah, it sounds wild. It does sound wild. <laughs> the renderings were great. They were—I mean, I thought they were great. 
Yeah. Again, I would be the minority on this, but uh, <laughs> amongst architects, I suppose I would be the majority. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so many people are, you know, well, I mean, human nature is to resist change. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. We live off change. We thrive off <laughs> it. We thrive it. How often do you have to say to someone who's, who's funding, who's saying, hey, I'd like your services, what have you, Hey, look! You need to stop looking at the past. You could do all of these things. I need you. I need you to open up your hand a little bit and see what I can do for you. You're gonna be proud of it. Just give me a chance. Well, we, well, I, um, I think the the history and, and mimicking, you know, these these past things has its own place. Um, but. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's... Well, that was a very safe answer. Yeah. I tried. I tried to serve it up for you. And you're like, you know, I mean, uh, I have to make the clients happy. And, uh, you know, we do what we but, can. Well, it's important. <laughs> as passionate it's as It's okay. I, I mean, I don't pay you, so I get it. I understand. As passionate you know. as I am about yeah. architecture, yeah. I still have to pay the bills, I suppose. True that. <laughs> yes. Mm. But, you know, it's our duty, I think, to be innovative. Mm. We're designers. We, we try to push the bounds. You know, we try to, we try to um, push that as much as we can. And I think that's okay at the end of the mm. day. I think that's what our clients want. Mm. They, want to, um, they want for us to tell them something that um, is new to them uh, and give them the choice whether mm-hmm. that's good is a, a good approach to take for their project. So you're supposed to bring them something they wouldn't have thought of themselves. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and there's some tremendous value to that. Um, but yeah. yeah, about bringing people things they hadn't thought of. You <laughs> have a blog. I do. Yeah. You yeah. Sure do. Our firm has a blog. It's um, it the blog is about um, educating um, people on. Uh, the process of design and construction is totally free. It's just free information on, on, um, uh, how to go through that kind of process of design Mm -hmm. and construction. So we cover the, the concept for the blog is, is to go from pre-design kind of our first phase of, of work, Mm -hmm. um, into schematic, which is our second and then development construction documents all the way through to construction. So, I think right now, I started the blog in January. I think right now I'm in the development phase, kind of the third phase into it. So I'm just kind of giving away information that may help people build their home. You hear that, folks? He's got a degree in this, and he's giving away some of it. (laughs) Man, I like that. Yeah, and you call it Sledgehammer, breaking you through the process of design and construction. Yeah, it's it's on our website. Mm Mm-hmm. So check it out, and you can actually get to it from a link on our website. That's right. We'll put that in there for you. Uh, Man, that is so cool. (laughs) Okay, so you also moved a barn across the field. I did, yeah. Because Uh, sometimes it's not where you need it when you first build it. So tell me about that. Apparently. Apparently not. Yes. Yeah, crazy, crazy story, actually. You guys and your toys, your barns, your cars, <laughs> trucks, all that. Yeah, you need a truck to do these things. I'm all about it. Let's, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I grew up on a farm. Uh, oh, okay. In uh, western Kentucky. Um, uh, growing up on a farm, we, 
learned I learned how to do things um, um, pretty early. You know, I learned how to weld when I was like twelve years old. Wicked. Um, we were doing you know plumbing and a lot of a lot of things that we were doing were you know modifying you know things like barns or or um, upgrading grain systems. Um, and uh, I was modifying fireworks when I was twelve. Yeah. I was like, if well, I just uh, take <laughs> this here and uh, there's a bigger wick that I can get from somewhere else. I didn't know about uh, welding. <laughs> That's incredible. Good for you. Well, so um, we had a situation where we wanted to expand our grain system. Yeah. And um, I was probably 15, 16 years old. And we had gotten a quote from a company to come in and move one of the barns, the existing barns, over, uh, I think it was like 7,500 feet into in the field because we were going to expand our grain system. And uh, it was in the way. Uh, but the cost for doing that was uh, more than the cost to build a new barn. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we we got the I guess we got the bright idea to move it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear how this went. <laughs> well, it went actually well. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I, I guess you know the, the point of sharing that story was what is that um, a lot can be achieved with with creativity and hard work and. <laughs> We just essentially jacked the posts up. Yeah. Hydraulic jacks at, at each point. I don't know how many. I don't know how many posts there were. There were probably twenty, mm. maybe, that we jacked up, and then we had built this sled out of oil pipe that we placed it. We lowered it onto, and then dragged it across the field. And you just put a new oil pipe in front every every well, couple well, feet. Well, we attached it to the sled and, oh. and drug it across the field with oh. several pieces of farm equipment. I mean, that sounds, that sounds so hillbilly, but it's, that's what I we did. I'm so sorry I ever doubted you. Like, of course that well, worked. So, uh, I, wish I, I wish I had the video of... My cousin actually came over. She lived across the street. She came over and took footage of us moving no this way. barn so it's as strange or as bizarre as it sounds moving this barn we have video of it somewhere <laughs> <laughs> if i could ever get a hold of it i'll share it with you, Please do. It with you. <laughs> but yeah the whole point of that story was um it's amazing what you can do with hard work and creativity <laughs> so you were <laughs> how old so, when you did this i i'm not really sure probably probably 14 15, oh my gosh I mean, I didn't do it by myself. My, you know, I worked for my dad. My dad and my uncle were their business partners in the farm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, we all did it together. I was, I was the grunt of, of the farm. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. So, anyway, it, there's, there's a way to do it. I suppose. <laughs> so, if there's somebody that wants to get into your field, um, you know, what would you recommend? Yeah, so um, architecture is, it's a long road. There's um, a lot of education associated with it. There's an internship process and an exam process. Uh, I guess what I would say to someone looking to become an architect is, if you're not passionate about it, um, then it's probably not for you. The The compensation is is 
doesn't really match other professions that have similar education and similar experience. Um, and if you don't have that passion, I don't know that you're really going to make it through that really long process. Um, so if you start to lose interest in it, get out early. Your passion started at a young age. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, um, that's really what, what took me through the whole, the whole thing. I had, um, eight years of school and. Um, three years of internship and five exams later I was licensed so (laughs) that's a long road to take if you're not interested in what you're doing yeah but it's fun (laughs) (laughs) I think it's fun yeah Jacob thank you so much for joining us today yeah thanks for having me of Corkscrews and Contracts. Podcast copyright 2019.